Hello, good evening. Welcome to Lake Road Chapel, our Thursday Bible study. We've come to James chapter 4. Last time we looked at the first five verses, starting to look at worldliness. And today we come to verses 6 to 10 of chapter 4. And we're looking at the Christian attitude as opposed to the worldly attitude. And since James began to talk about heavenly wisdom, and that was at the end of James 3, he's been slowly turning our attention to the issue of worldliness. Worldliness is a tremendous challenge. We are relatively prosperous in spite of challenges ahead in our culture. And it, it, it is in a situation of comfort that as believers we're tempted to think and act like the world. We're tempted to think in the world's categories. We're tempted to agree with the world's assessment of problems and issues and the possibilities and solutions to the problems of the world. We're tempted to behave like the world and we're tempted to want our beliefs to be acceptable to the, in the sight of the world. So we're tempted to behave like the world and even if we are not tempted to go whole hog in believing like the world and behaving like the world, we at least face the temptation of wanting a foot in both worlds. A foot in the life of the church and as a believer and a foot in the world. Sometimes behaving like a believer ought to behave and other times really no difference to the world. So worldliness is an issue, is a problem which we need to face up to. We begin to value the world's values more than the things of God. The things that God has told us to value in his, in his words. We seek to fill our desires and our satisfaction with temporary pleasures offered by the world rather than the eternal things of God. So James is talking to Christians in the first century and they're facing a similar challenge. James 4, 1 to 5, last week is a diagnostic of that problem where the problem of worldliness is a problem which originates in the heart and then broken relationships, divisions in, in the family and in the church can be traced in pursuing selfishness in our own hearts. And that selfish desire is in and of itself worldly. Yes, it shows itself in broken relationships and therefore worldliness can be evidenced even in the Christian community. And external broken relationships therefore are evidences of internal worldliness. And then James goes on and gives us the example in verse 2 and 3 of prayer. He says, some of you aren't praying. And that in, in and of itself shows a problem with your relationship with God. It shows that you don't see God as the one who is actually the source, the provision, the provider of all of your needs. Or if you did, you would be going to him in prayer. On the other hand, he turns to some who are praying, but praying for the wrong things and says, you're not having your prayers answered because you're seeking after wrong things. 
You've been impacted, influenced by worldliness. And so prayer life can be an evidence of worldliness in the way that you're conducting it. In verses 4 and 5, he speaks about how serious this is. He uses strong language. You can't be a friend of the world and a follower of God because friendship with the world is enmity with God. It reminds you, doesn't it, of Jesus's words. You cannot serve God and mammon. So James makes it clear this is a serious situation. It's an important thing for us to consider. That is the diagnostic. That is the negative. So what do you do to combat worldliness? And that's what James is getting to in verses 6 to 10 of chapter 4. Let's read it together. If you have a Bible, I'll just give you a second to find it. That's James 4. We'll be reading verses 6 to 10. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Amen. May God bless the reading of his holy and inerrant words. The world offers its wares and we would like to buy some and have them in our own home. The world offers us its thinking, its belief, its behaviour. The world says that our ways are out of kilter. And we begin to think that we need to be in step with the world. So, we begin to abandon the things of the Lord and instead walk in the way of the world. That is the outside situation. And and on the inside, we're being pulled in the same direction by our own selfish desires. We're fighting a war on two fronts. It is not just out there which is waging a war against our hearts. No, there's a division in our own hearts. There's a worldliness that's resident in our own hearts that is pulling us in the direction of the world. How do you prevail when the enemy is not just without, but also within? Some suggest that you you need to look within to find the answer. And James says that's futile because the answer isn't in there. In part, at least, the problem is within. So how do you combat worldliness? And James gives two simple but brilliant answers to this staggering important question here in James 4, 6 to 10. His answers are grace and obedience. Grace and obedience. Don't look for resources within yourself to battle worldliness. Look look out. And look up. Number one, seek grace. In verse six, James makes it very clear that God's grace is the source of our sanctification. See, God's grace is not only the source of our new birth. God's grace is not only the source of our becoming Christians. God's grace is not only the source of our justification, our being declared righteous by the righteousness of Christ. 
No, God's grace is also the source of our growth in grace. God's grace is also the source of our sanctification. God's grace is the source of our ability to be separate from the world, to be consecrated to God. You see, we live in a fallen and sinful world that is in rebellion against him. So God's grace is not only the source of our sanctification and our victory over worldliness, but he gives more grace. Do you see that? Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Worldliness is a problem because you can't love God and the world. You can't be a follower of God and a follower of the world. You can't be a friend of God and a friend of the world. So what do you do? Don't look within for the resources to fight this battle. Look up and look out of yourself. Do not look in yourself. Look up to God. Seek his grace. You see, we're told by the world's wisdom that the solutions to our problems are within to summon up some dormant principle in us that we actually haven't actualized before. So the answer to our challenges of today is to look within, awaken the giant within you, actualize the talent and potential which lies in you. If you look within, you find the answer. And there is a spiritual equivalent to that worldly message. Faith preachers, who preach that the answer to our problems is to believe more. And then we'll get everything we want. We'll have more health. We'll have more wealth. We'll have more happiness. And if we don't achieve those things, it's simply because we haven't believed enough. And if we would only believe more, we'd have all that we want. Because God wants us to be happy. And we can only have those things if we believe more. You see, faith preachers preach faith in the same way that the confidence trick of the world preach power within. And in that way, faith becomes the spiritual equivalent of willpower. Believe harder. And you find all the answers to all your problems. And if you have problems, it's simply because you're not believing enough. And James is saying that is not the truth. James is emphatically saying, do not rely on your willpower. James is emphatically saying that the answer is not within you. This is not to quote a Star Wars theme. This is not Obi-Wan Kenobi and Luke Skywalker. Look within you, Luke. The force is not in you. James asserts here, that in spite of the monumental nature of the challenge, there is an answer, but that answer is not you. How do you read the Bible stories? Do you look at the Bible stories and you read David and Goliath and think, I'm just like the, the David, or you know, I'm just like that, or I'm just like him, or I'm just like her? No, you're not the hero. Jesus is. And by grace, we know the hero. The help is outside of you. Look out, look up. It is with God. It is with his grace. But just revel in this for a minute, my friends. Bathe in this for a moment. But he gives more grace. 
Yes, he points to this enormous challenge, the challenge of worldliness, without and within. It is around us, it is within us, it is everywhere, we struggle with it. Every minute of every day, of every month, of every year. But he gives more grace. I know your circumstances are hard, but he gives more grace. I know the temptations are profound, but he gives more grace. I know the challenge is unimaginable, but he gives more grace. We are in a mess, but he gives more grace. We are weak, but he gives more grace. We are tired, but he gives more grace. God is tirelessly on our side. He is never less than sufficient. He always has more to give. We may be beaten, but he is not. And we may be even in our sin. We may claim he hasn't given us enough, but he gives more grace. He is able. He is willing. He is ready to save. He is ready to give grace and his grace is greater than all our sin. His grace is greater than the challenges and temptations that face us every day. James is saying we must look to God for grace. Don't look within, look to God. Renew our siege of the kingdom of grace by prayer. Acknowledge your poverty and need. Look only to his grace. See, God has so ordained that all the great strides, the great steps of our sanctification, all of our moving forward in growing into conformity into the image of his son. All of our becoming more holy, all of our becoming more sanctified, more godlike in our moral qualities begin with our relearning the first principle of our justification. See, in justification, we learn we cannot save ourselves. His grace is sufficient. And in every step of sanctification, we relearn that truth. His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient. His power is perfected in our weakness. So, my dear friend, the first step to fighting worldliness is to acknowledge you do not have the resources to fight worldliness and only God can provide. His resources are magnificent. They overshadow any weapon the enemy can bring to bear against you from without or within. God's grace is greater. It's God's grace. It's not your strength. You are not the hero of your story. And that is where the war against worldliness begins, with recognising that you are weaponless except for the provision of Almighty God. And God's weapons are so much more powerful than the weaponry of the world. They are beyond compare. That is where the battle commences. Don't look for resources within you to battle worldliness. Look out, look up, seek grace, trust God to be true to his word, rely on his grace. But don't think that relying on grace means passivity or inactivity, which leads me neatly to the second point, walk in obedience to grace. You see, James's answer has a passive and an active side. You have to admit that you don't have the resources within you. Only God has the resources. Only he can give those resources. And those resources are more than sufficient to answer the need of the day. But there is something else that you need to do as well. 
And James spells that out in verses 7 to 10. Obey. Our obedience is the response, the proper response to the grace of God. It is not only the proper response to God's grace, it is the tool that God's grace uses in our lives. Obedience is the instrument of God's grace. So don't ever think that relying on God's grace equals passivity. Do not think that relying on God's grace means inactivity. No walk in obedience to grace. By the way, have you counted up the commands in these verses? Let's start from verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Then from verse 7, there's about 10 commands. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. You see, first of all, look to God for grace. He gives more grace. But then these ten commands. So submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. Draw near to God. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Be wretched. Mourn. Weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom and humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I think there's 10. And like Mortia says anyway, in verses 7 through 10, there are no less than 10 commands to obey. You can either make it more or you can make it less, depending on how you package them together. But anyway, Alec Motia says in verses 7 through 10, there are no less than 10 commands to obey. James doesn't, does not see the indwelling spirit as a means of instant and effortless sanctification. You see, it's not a Holy Spirit microwave. You pop it in and 30 seconds it is done. That isn't sanctification. That's not how it works. It isn't easy. It, does, it requires effort. Motia goes on to say, in the same way that James does not see the inexhaustible supply of God's grace as sweeping us along to an effortless holiness, he knows of no such easy victory. The God who says, here is my grace to receive, says in the same breath, here are my commands to obey. So James, in the middle of these ten commands, gives four great directives and just briefly as we start to close, let's look at those directives. Trust in God's grace and then walk in these ways. So what are they? Fight, fellowship, focus and forgiveness. Which leads me neatly to say to forgive, forgive me the alliteration. But maybe it will just help you remember. Fight, fellowship, focus, forgiveness. In verse 7, fight. Fellowship in the first part of verse 8, focus in the second part of verse 8, forgiveness in verses 9 and 10. Look at them with me. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you, is verse 7. There are two commands there, submit to God and resist the devil. Language is military, submit means active allegiance, active allegiance to God. It doesn't mean passivity, it's, it's enlistment language. It means ready to do the Lord's bidding. There is the willing language. You submit to God. You enlist in his army. You be prepared to do his bidding. Man the defences. 
to be prepared for conflict with Satan. You see, James is reminding us that when grace invades your life, the battle is just beginning. And for, and for some reason, Christians forget that. They think that when grace invades your life, it's all over. But James is saying you need to be in the mindset that grace is there for the fight. There is grace sufficient so you can put on the armour. There is grace sufficient so you can get into the fight. It doesn't end it, it begins it. And believers need to remember that. If you have a heartbeat and you're a Christian, you're in a fight. And James is reminding you, submit to God, enlist in his army, resist the devil. The first principle is fight. That's my first principle. The fight is not the problem. The lack of fight is a problem. The fight is evidence that grace is working. The fight is evidence you have a spiritual heartbeat. So don't be surprised by the fight. Secondly, fellowship. First part of verse 8. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. James is calling you to cultivate fellowship with God. What is the thing that you'll need most for the fight? God. What is the thing you need most in order to conquer worldliness? God. You need, to, you need a relationship with God. You need him. You need communion with him. You need his presence. You need his power. You need his favour. You draw near to God. Draw near to God through the means that he has appointed for you to draw near to him. What does that mean? Well, poignantly, it means coming to worship the Lord on his day. Week in, week out, year after year, being under the preaching of God's word in public worship, where the Bible is read and preached and prayed and sung, and then seen in the sacraments, cultivating every appointed avenue whereby we have fellowship with him. I say that because poignantly we're unable to. But that, that, is no, but that doesn't make it any less true. The skies do not have to part, the angels do not have to sing for God's grace to sing. You see, it may be imperceptibly working in you in ways that you have no idea ways that you can't comprehend and James is saying draw near to God there are ways that we can do it in this season of lockdown be under the ministry of God's word cultivate devotion to him do what Andrew gave us a testimony of and read your Bible in a year be under the ministry of God's word that, that, you know, the, the ministry that we provide here at Lake Road. Fellowship is, with God is not a call to go out and have some ecstatic spiritual experience. Draw near to God in the means that he is appointed. So there is the fight and there is fellowship. Then there is focus. That's the end of verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, on the one hand, we want to follow God... But on the other hand, we want to follow the world. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And James is calling us to do some spiritual pruning, to do some spiritual weeding in the garden of our hearts so that we're focused on God. And that means pruning the things that detract from that focus. James says, draw near to God and then we prune. He doesn't say prune and then draw near to God. You can't get your act together unless you've been drawn to God. 
So draw near to God and only then will you be able to start pruning that on the work that needs to be done. James is calling for a thorough purification of our lives. Mortification, I love that word. Killing sin, going after sin in the Christian life. So we have, finally we have forgiveness. If you look at verses 9 and 10, so we have, we have, um, first of all we have, um, it's just, it's just, First of all, we have the fight. I beg your pardon, it just slipped my mind. Then we have fellowship, focus and forgiveness in verses 9 and 10. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Is he saying Christians shouldn't laugh? No, otherwise I'm in big trouble. No, he's using language of repentance. What happens when you see your sin and how it's hurt someone else. You mourn, you weep, your laughter is turned to mourning, your joy to gloom. It's the language of repentance. And you should quickly know that it is grace alone that enables us to do these four things. It is grace that enables us to fight. It is grace that draws us to fellowship. It is grace that gives us the focus. And it is grace that enables us to seek forgiveness through repentance. And the fact of these things in our lives is an evidence of God's grace at work within us. God has so ordained that all the great steps of our sanctification should proceed with a decisive seeking of him, with a longing to be like him, and with a mourning that we are not like him. And then having been brought to the depths, what we read in verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. In sanctification, just as in justification, the hour of despair is the verge of victory. When we come to an end of ourselves, we find the victory of God over sin and self and the world. That is the battle of worldliness. There is no battle that we need to engage more than this battle. May God grant to you to use these spiritual weapons. The source is the grace of God the tools of God's grace to win the victory over worldliness. May God bless our study together for his glory and for our eternal good. God bless you.